Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Overnight shelling in eastern Ukraine injuring dozens while Russian forces enter the last Ukrainian stronghold in the port city of Mariupol. Protesters for and against support to Ukraine demonstrated in Bulgaria on Wednesday. The two sides clashed as pro-Ukraine protesters called for increased support while the opposition pressed for Bulgaria's neutrality. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito cancels a public appearance, this after the leak of a draft opinion he wrote suggesting Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Migrants use chat rooms to talk about strategies on how they can cross into the U.S. from Mexico illegally. It comes as the Biden administration prepares to end Title 42. Several people were injured after overnight missile attacks in eastern Ukraine. No deaths reported yet, but there could be a reason for that. Entity's Jessica Beatty explains. At least 25 civilians were wounded after Russian forces shelled Kramatorsk and another city in eastern Ukraine overnight. One resident says she and her husband are lucky. For one moment it sounded far away. I couldn't sleep and went to the bathroom. Then the roof started crumbling down. My husband opened the window slightly. We probably got lucky. We could have been hit with an explosion wave. The governor of the region said the shelling damaged nine residential buildings and a school. Looking at the aftermath, it's amazing so few were injured and none were killed. The possible reason for that is at least two-thirds of the city of Kramatorsk had already left. Those who remain are now cleaning up debris and assessing the damage. Meanwhile, in the southeast, over 340 civilians were evacuated Wednesday from the port city of Mariupol. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said they're now on their way to the Ukrainian-controlled city of Zaporizhia. All of them will get the necessary assistance. All of them will be treated in the most supportive manner by our state. The evacuees had taken refuge for weeks in Mariupol's Azovstal steel plant, the last stronghold of Ukrainian forces in the city. A Ukrainian commander Wednesday said they're still holding out. It's already the second day since the army broke into the territory of the plant. There are heavy, bloody battles. I am proud of my soldiers who make superhuman efforts to contain the pressure of the enemy. Russia said it would pause military activity at the plant during the day Thursday, Friday and Saturday so more civilians can get out. Meanwhile, over in Moldova, a small country in between Romania and Ukraine, a pro-Russian separatist region criticized the EU Wednesday for promising military aid to Moldova's government. Fears have increased in recent days that Moldova could be drawn into the Ukraine conflict. That's after the pro-Russian separatists blamed Kyiv for what they call terrorist attacks. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Our next guest helps shed light on the impact the war in Ukraine is having on children and what can be done to help this vulnerable population. And now we have the luxury of hearing from Herbie Newell, who is the president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services. Thank you for coming on the show, Herbie. What an honor to be here and talk about this important topic. Can you first start by telling us how the war in Ukraine is affecting children around the world? Absolutely. I think when you look at any war, the scope and the size of this conflict in Ukraine, 
The first and foremost we think of is geopolitical in nature. We think about chemical weapons, we think about nuclear weapons, and we think about just political expediency. But really the, the fallout is on children. It's on those that are most vulnerable. And we, we don't think about how families are affected, and we certainly don't think about how vulnerable children or orphans are affected. But certainly this war in Ukraine has marginally affected those who were already vulnerable. We've seen some of these orphanages, it, it just they've been bombed already. And we're seeing more and more of these children that are being rampaged, and they're being forgotten. And so cities that are even being uh, left behind as people are fleeing for safety, it's the vulnerable children and, and the orphans that are being left behind. And certainly the vulnerable can be affected by war even more so. And now the United Nations Children's Fund says the war is having a dramatic effect on children's lives in Ukraine as many schools have reportedly been hit by airstrikes and artillery. Is there any way that we can help kids there get access to better education? Yeah, I think one of the things we've got to do is continue to support those who are doing relief on the ground. Uh, for instance, I know Samaritan's Purse has a, a huge operation where they're helping schools and churches. Uh, you know, the first thing is we've got to get these children into safe places. Uh, there's so many different things we know about even brain development. In ch school-aged children, their brain is still developing. It's still forming. And to go through this trauma during this time is going to have a long-lasting effect not just on them in a mental capacity or an intellectual capacity, but also in an emotional and a spiritual capacity. And one of the things that we can do is help relief organizations who are on the ground get the necessary relief. And I think the other thing that we can do is to support the neighboring countries. I know a lot of these children, uh, Lord willing, have found refuge in Poland or Romania, and we need to start helping the aid there, not just for the temporal, but knowing that this conflict is now going to, to extend much longer than we originally thought. We need to be prepared to look for educational resources and to support those who are going to bring the educational needs to those children, especially the school-aged children at so many formable years. Well, hopefully that support can help these children in Ukraine. Now, according to Sky News, children have been sheltering underground at the metro station in Kharkiv for months. They have been living there, learning there, playing and seeking refuge. How would this impact the new generation of the adults in Ukraine? You know, again, when we look forward, so much of what we experience as adults and so much of the way we make decisions is informed by our childhood. It's informed by the trauma or the experiences we had in our childhood. And so much of the future of Ukraine is being meted in these last several months and in the months to come. And hopefully we can bring the aid and the rescue to these children to get them into safe, stable places. Now, this trauma is going to last for, with them for a lifetime, but we need to get them in stability as soon as possible. We need to be able to get them into places where they can learn, they can feel structure, they don't have the fear of a bomb raid. And then the other thing that we really need to realize is that in the economy and what we're learning even through science is that there will be a, another time when they're teenagers where we can go and we need to make sure we're leaning into the children now when they're teenagers to help them overcome the trauma that they're experiencing uh, in these days. Herbie Newell, president of Lifeline Children's Services, thank you so much for sharing this update with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Russia is preparing for its Victory Day Parade. It's an annual commemoration of the Soviet Union's victory over Nazi Germany in World War II. The Defense Ministry released footage of a nighttime parade rehearsal. Military personnel and vehicles paraded through Moscow's Central Red Square on Wednesday evening. Tanks and missile launchers were also on display. Crowds stood watching behind barriers as the vehicles passed. 
This year's parade on May 9th will take place against the backdrop of what Russia calls its special military operation in Ukraine. Forbes says the parade is almost 35% smaller than previous years. This due to Ukraine battlefield losses and equipment being dedicated to the invasion. Russian President Vladimir Putin is due to deliver a speech and oversee the event. The Kremlin on Wednesday dismissed speculation that Putin would formally declare war on Ukraine and decree a national mobilization on the day of the parade. EU member states are discussing how to end Russian oil imports. The region's reliance on Russian energy is a major obstacle to carrying out the plan. Here's more on that story. EU member states are finalizing Wednesday's proposal for a phased embargo on Russian oil. French Environment and Energy Minister Barbara Pompili said a consensus could be reached by the end of this week. The Brussels oil ban would be the toughest sanction yet imposed on Moscow. If adopted, the plan would take effect in six months for crude oil and in eight months for refined oil products. An expert said that means Russia will have to turn its eyes to Asia. We've seen already a significant redirection of flows uh, away from Europe um, into uh, several European, uh, Asian countries, particularly India, has been taking a lot of Russian oil, a lot more than it usually does. Um, we are now seeing China also showing some interest in increasing purchases of Russian oil. Um, it hasn't picked up yet, but realistically it's, it's probably going to. Livia Gallarati is a senior analyst at Energy Aspects, a London-based energy research firm. She said the EU must look for alternatives amid soaring energy prices. Europe's reliance on Russian energy is so high that you cannot easily wean off of it without having a significant economic impact uh, in the region. Despite heavy dependence on Russian oil, countries including Germany, Latvia, Poland and Lithuania have voiced support for the EU's decision, but some are raising objections. Hungary's foreign minister said he could not support the proposal because it would undermine the country's energy security. Hungary could only agree to these sanctions measures if crude oil transport via pipeline was exempted from the sanctions. In that case, the security of Hungary's energy supply would be upheld. Other countries are seeking a longer transition to introduce the ban. Czech Prime Minister Peter Fiala said he would like to get a two to three year delay. We are ready to support this decision, given the Czech Republic will have some postponement until capacity is increased in oil pipelines, which can deliver oil to the Czech Republic. And we are trying to make sure that we get that postponement for two or three years. Slovakia is also seeking a three-year transition period. The country's crude oil imports come almost entirely from Russia. Protesters for and against support to Ukraine demonstrated in the Bulgarian capital Sofia on Wednesday. Bulgarian nationalists protesting for neutrality and Ukraine supporters scuffled in front of a monument to the Soviet army. Here are the details. Demonstrations broke out in the Bulgarian capital Sofia on Wednesday. Protesters for and against support to Ukraine clashed after lawmakers voted on how much support to give the country in its fight against Russia's invasion. Pro-Ukrainian protesters called for increased support to Ukraine's government while Bulgarian nationalists want Bulgaria to stay neutral. One protester said those in support of military aid to Ukraine thought proposals being debated in parliament did not go far enough. What is being voted on is not real military support. Here, there is an event announced and coordinated with the city and the police for covering up the monument of the Soviet army. It is part of the cause of dismantling this infamous symbol of the occupying Red Army. 
Bulgaria's parliament voted on Wednesday to allow repairs of Ukraine's heavy military equipment and to seek ways to help Ukrainian exports of grain and electricity. The leader of the ultra-nationalist Revival Party addressed counter-protesters, saying those in support of aid to Ukraine wanted to see Bulgaria get involved in the conflict. Let's not allow these sellouts to provoke us. This is Bulgaria. What we, the Bulgarians, are saying will happen here, not the national traitors. For the national traitors, there will be one sentence, and it will catch up with them very soon. EU and NATO member Bulgaria has condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine, also supported sanctions against Moscow and refused to pay for Russian gas with rubles. Bulgaria hosted more than 90,000 Ukrainian refugees. Yet the Black Sea country remains among several EU members that have avoided sending arms and ammunition to Kyiv. Proposals in the country's parliament to provide direct military aid to Kyiv were bypassed as the socialists and the four-party governing coalition opposed the move. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito canceled plans to attend a public event today. This after a draft opinion he wrote was leaked. The draft suggests the court will vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, a landmark court decision that legalized abortion nationwide. NTD reporter Jeremy Sandberg has more. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito was set to appear at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals Judicial Conference on Thursday, but canceled for unknown reasons. A spokesperson for the Supreme Court confirmed Alito would not attend, but did not say why. On Monday, a majority draft opinion written by Alito was leaked to and published by media group Politico. The draft opinion effectively says the court will vote to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that guaranteed the legal right to abortion across the U.S. Demonstrators both in support of and against abortion rights appeared outside the Supreme Court following the leaked document. In the case of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decided that the right to personal privacy under the U.S. Constitution protects a woman's ability to have an abortion. The draft opinion says the Roe v. Wade decision was wrong because the U.S. Constitution makes no specific mention of abortion rights. If the ruling is overturned by the Supreme Court, which has a conservative majority, it would not ban abortions nationwide, but instead leave it up to each state legislature to decide. Chief Justice John Roberts confirmed the draft is authentic on Tuesday. In a press release, he stated it was not the court's final decision or the final position of any member. Roberts called for an investigation into the source of the leak and said the work of the court will not be affected in any way. Following protests outside the Supreme Court earlier this week, a fence was put up on Wednesday night. Now that the court is poised to strike down Roe, it is my intention for the Senate to hold a vote on legislation to codify the right to an abortion in law. Roberts and Justice Clarence Thomas are scheduled to speak separately in Atlanta at the 11th Circuit's Judicial Conference on Thursday and Friday, but it's uncertain if they will still appear. The leak is an unprecedented disclosure of a Supreme Court draft opinion and a major breach of protocol and trust within the court known for its fellowship. Never before, never before in modern history has an internal draft been leaked to the public while the justices were still deciding a case. Never before. The ruling only becomes final when published in court. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Migrants in Mexico looking to cross into the U.S. illegally are using chat rooms to talk about how they could do it. They're also discussing how the end of Title 42 will affect their plans. They're using the WhatsApp messaging service. Chat rooms are full of chatter on how the end of the public health order will affect their chances. 
Title 42 allows illegal immigrants to be quickly expelled from the country. Here's what a Cuban migrant said in one chat room. I'd like to know if after Title 42 is lifted, we still need to cross through the Rio Bravo. He's referring to the Rio Grande. A member with a Venezuelan phone number responds, through the river will be fine. Do it at dawn, 5 or 6 a.m. The river is lower and is less dangerous. Most migrants heading to the U.S. border use WhatsApp chat rooms. Through the digital platform, group members share information they could benefit from. That includes details on border policies, where and when to cross, and what to say to border agents if they are caught. A member with a Cuban phone number said, Title 42 is suspended in some states. You can read about it. The Cubans are passing through. In my group, they made it. Other discussions included talk about credible fear interviews. People who demonstrate credible fear of returning to their home country can't be deported. WhatsApp users said if officials accept migrants' credible fear claims, they're admitted to the U.S. They said if not, they're returned to Mexico. The phone numbers in one chat room were from at least eight countries. Mexico, El Salvador, Colombia, Ecuador, Cuba, Venezuela, Honduras, and Costa Rica. Over half of illegal immigrants aren't subject to removal by Title 42. That's because the Biden administration exempted large categories in February 2021. Title 42 is now mainly being used to expel Mexican and Central American illegal immigrants. Title 42 helps the government remove people who were just in a country with a contagious disease like COVID-19. DHS says that after Title 42 ends, ways to remove illegal immigrants will be limited. Here's what Secretary Mayorkas said on Sunday. What happens now is individuals are either expelled under the Title 42 authority or they are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings and they are removed if they do not have a valid claim under our law to remain. And so the border is not open. March and April this year saw just over 200,000 illegal immigrant encounters at the border. About half of them were removed from the country under Title 42. The rest were processed and likely released into the country as per immigration law. The U.S. Coast Guard intercepted a boat carrying 49 Cubans just south of Florida. They were on board what the Coast Guard described as an unsafe vessel and were sent back to Cuba. That's in addition to other boats carrying Cubans to Florida. 41 people were taken into custody over the weekend. 11 people, discovered on the lower Metacumbe Key, told border agents they left Cuba a week ago. 21 Cubans reached the Marquesas Key in two homemade boats on Saturday. On Friday, six Cubans made it all the way to Miami Beach in a tiny wooden rowboat. They told authorities they were at sea for two weeks. Three other Cuban migrants made their way to Isla Meralda in the Florida Keys. They were briefly stranded on an uninhabited island near Cuba before making their way to Florida. The Miami Herald reports that since October, the Coast Guard has stopped over 1,500 migrants in the waters between Florida, Cuba, and the Bahamas. That's the highest number of migrant encounters there in seven years. Parents in Pennsylvania are outraged over an after-school sexual dance performance involving adult men in drag. An investigation is now being launched by the school district. NTD's Grace Coulter has the story. A staff member at Hempfield High School in Pennsylvania has been placed on administrative leave for organizing this performance, a sexually suggestive drag queen dance show at the school last Monday. Parents say they were neither informed nor asked for their permission. This video of the performance was posted online. We've blurred it due to the dancers' scan outfits, which include spandex thongs. 
Not only were the adult male drag queens dancing provocatively with their buttocks showing, students were also urged to bring tip money. The performance was hosted by the Gay Sexuality Alliance Club of the Hempfield School District. It was reportedly held right after school at 3 p.m. and all students were invited to attend. After parent outrage, the school district issued an apology, saying they do not condone this type of activity in their schools. The district says they've launched an investigation to hold those involved accountable. Grace Coulter, NTD News. And according to an Epic Times report, parents are predicting a full house at next week's school board meeting. They want to know if the drag queens were paid and if they completed child abuse background checks as required by state law for anyone working with minors. Elon Musk appears to be calling for an investigation into left-wing organizations that are pressuring companies to boycott Twitter. The groups are calling for a boycott if Musk changes Twitter's content moderation policies after his purchase. NTD's Allison Lee has more. About two dozen left-wing groups, including Black Lives Matter Network Foundation, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, and Women's March, reportedly sent letters to top advertisers on Twitter, such as Coca-Cola, Kraft, and Disney. The groups wrote in their letter, under Musk's management, Twitter risks becoming a cesspool of misinformation. The groups are asking the companies to agree to certain standards if they want to keep advertising on Twitter. These include keeping the accounts of public figures who are banned for violating Twitter rules off the platform. Musk responded to the letter in a tweet on Tuesday saying, Who funds these organizations that want to control your access to information? Let's investigate. And I wonder if those funding these organizations are fully aware of what the organizations are doing. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. A growing number of older dams are in dangerous condition across the U.S., the Associated Press reports that more than 2,000 of them are rated as high hazards, meaning they would likely cause deaths if they were to fail. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. The massive rock and clay dam at El Capitan Reservoir is capable of storing over 36 billion gallons of water, enough to supply every resident in San Diego for most of a year. Today, it's three-quarters empty because of concerns it could fail. I mean, on an earthquake, a, a big earthquake. You never know what's going to happen, if this is going to hold, you know what I mean? El Capitan has been added to a growing list of dams rated in poor condition that would likely cause deaths downstream if they failed. That our dams are getting older. The average age of a dam is about 60 years old. And uh, there are many dams that, that are well over 100 years old that are, are still in operation and existence. An Associated Press analysis tallied more than 2,200 high-hazard dams in poor or unsatisfactory condition across the U.S. The $1 trillion infrastructure bill signed last year by President Joe Biden will pump about $3 billion into dam-related projects. In addition to freeways and bridges, which are important, these reservoirs are very important as well, and we need to start spending the money on them to retrofit them, to get them up again back to full capacity. The nation's dams are over a half century old on average, and often present more of a hazard than originally envisioned when designed, because homes, businesses, or highways have been built below them. Well, it's if you're in an area impacted by uh, a flood caused by the failure of that dam, your 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 life is is uh, potentially at risk. It, it should the should that dam fail. So that's why it's important. We should know the hazards around us in, in all shapes and forms, and, and dams are, are one of them. 
A change in climate and extreme floods have brought a renewed focus to an often overlooked aspect of the nation's critical infrastructure. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Hawaii's Kilauea volcano is erupting a steady stream of lava. The latest eruption began in September, but until recently had been stopping and starting every few days. Now the pulsing nature of the eruption has ended. A steady flow of lava is once again filling the volcano's crater in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. The flow has been nonstop for more than two weeks. Scientists with the U.S. Geological Survey say the volcano is ultimately unpredictable. However, current activity shows no signs of slowing, and some historic eruptions have lasted decades. A lava lake more than 300 feet deep has formed since the start of the latest eruption. There was another brief eruption that began in 2020 and lasted for several months. That was after a major 2018 eruption that sent massive amounts of lava into local neighborhoods. And still to come, emotions are running high ahead of next week's Philippine presidential race. Leading the polls is Ferdinand Marcos Jr., son of a late dictator. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine complicates efforts for other countries to obtain Russian buckwheat. In Japan, that means pricier soba noodles. We'll have more for you in just a minute right here on NTD News. In Beijing, public transit is largely halted due to heightened COVID-19 restrictions. Meanwhile, in another megacity, people are panic buying, preparing for the coming lockdowns. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us the updates. China's capital city closed scores of subway stations and bus routes on Wednesday. Officials also extended COVID-19 curbs on many public venues. According to the city's service provider, more than 60 subway stations and nearly 160 bus routes were shut down. Officials also said that extend closures for certain public places, like schools, restaurants, some businesses, and even residential buildings. But they didn't give a time frame. This is becoming too much to bear for some. A woman is in tears as she voices her dissatisfaction with the restrictions. With dozens of new cases a day, Beijing is mass testing its residents for the infection, hoping to find and isolate the virus before it spreads. This week, 12 out of the city's 16 districts held a second round of tests, with one more still to come. Restrictions in Beijing are very severe. I can't even go eat anywhere. I feel oppressed. I did the PRC test every day and I know that I am not sick. I did not get infected, but I still feel caged like I was sick. I feel these restrictions are excessive. They make people agitated. They can't bear it. At the same time, the city plans to cut down the time people spend in quarantine facilities when they arrive from overseas, from 14 days down to 10 days. That's according to what an official said Wednesday. But foreign arrivals will still need to isolate at home for seven days afterward. 
Beyond Beijing, other Chinese cities are also making adjustments to their COVID-19 curbs. According to an official statement from Tuesday, central China's Zhenzhou city will impose new week-long rules. Schools in the main city district will shift their classes online, while staff with the local government and nearby companies must work from home. It's not certain whether the restrictions will lift after one week. Zhenzhou is home to over 12 million people. It's also the site for Apple's iPhone manufacturer, Taiwan's Foxconn. The company confirmed it would continue production there. As companies and public services adjust to the changes, residents quickly responded to the news. The day the notice was released, locals packed the streets. Crowds were seen rushing to grocery stores to stock up on essentials for while they're working remotely. This is the first time since last summer Jinjo has caught the public eye. That's after last year when severe flooding hit the area. The Philippines' 2022 general election is coming up on Monday. The race is on between the country's sitting vice president and Ferdinand Marcos Jr., the son of an ousted dictator who ruled the Philippines for two decades. Philippines' incumbent vice president Lenny Robredo is facing an uphill battle in the country's presidential race. A recent survey in Pulse Asia shows Robredo's approval rating at 23 percent, down from 24 percent a month ago. Her opponent Marcos stayed at 56 percent. Still, many voters favor Robredo's anti-corruption platform. I want Lenny to win so that the Philippines would be run differently and there would be less corruption. She can help the people so much more. The one who I want to vote for in this coming election is Vice President Lenny Robredo. The reason I want to vote for her is because she's compassionate, God-fearing, eager to help and caring. For young voters born after the dictatorship of Marcos's father, the former governor, congressman and senator is more compelling. I want Marcos to win as president. I know he can help those who are poor like us. If he wins this year, price of goods may go down. Since the election campaign began, Marcos has participated in only one of the four presidential debates. His dodging of the debates has come under fire from opponents and academic groups. They say the public is being denied the opportunity to see all candidates challenged and scrutinized. Political observers attribute Marcos's lead in the polls to his strong social media presence. One reason why uh, Marcos Jr. Uh, is leading the polls now, if we are, of course, to base it on the latest uh, surveys, is I think uh, they have succeeded. They had the advantage of uh, crafting an appealing narrative which we know uh, distorts the historical fact and yet has somehow appealed to many voters. There is a lot of emotion involved and that is why the narratives you are most comfortable with normally are decisive. Marcos's dictator father was overthrown in 1991 following his brutal rule in the plundering of billions of dollars in wealth. Since then, his family has been seeking to reshape their tarnished image. Critics see Marcos's campaign as part of an effort to rewrite the family's controversial history. Russia is one of the world's largest producers of buckwheat, but the invasion of Ukraine has complicated the efforts of other countries to obtain the export. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on how the holdup is impacting Japan. 
Restaurant owner Ryu Ishihara will soon be raising prices on his soba noodles for the first time in nearly a decade, as rising costs and Russia's invasion of Ukraine take a toll. From COVID-19 and now with this war, I'm wondering when it will all end. I first thought it would all be over in six months, but there are no signs of an end. I'm really worried. A good part of the buckwheat that goes into the noodles comes from Russia, the world's top buckwheat producer. Russian buckwheat can still be imported for now, but instability and shipping disruptions have hampered supply. Because of the economic sanctions, such as Russia being removed from SWIFT banking system and some shipping companies putting a halt on its cargo ships departing and arriving in Russian ports, there's been a disruption on logistics. As a result, there's been a delay in the arrival of buckwheat seeds to Japan. Soba is famous as a cheap meal served cold or hot, often slurped quickly by workers and students. Ishihara's prices run from $2.30 up to $3.90, with add-ons like tempura and rice boosting the cost. It depends on how often I will come, but I hope the price stays around 500 yen. Despite Soba's iconic status, Japan produced only 42 percent of its buckwheat needs in 2020. That's according to the Japan Soba Association. The Agriculture Ministry says that the gap is filled by imports, with Russia being the third largest source of buckwheat from 2018. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, consumers take energy prices into their own hands by opting into community-led energy production. In the UK, they're demanding the government does more to support them. And a new exhibit at the Museo del Prado in Madrid asks visitors to experience artwork using their sense of smell, allowing them to appreciate a different side of the work. We'll have more for you in just a moment here on NTD News. A team of astronauts departed their orbiting outpost on the International Space Station today. It's the third long-duration team of astronauts SpaceX has sent to the ISS for NASA. The SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule is carrying three U.S. NASA astronauts and a German astronaut from the European Space Agency. They undocked from the ISS at 1.20 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The return flight is expected to last about 23 hours. The team is coming home after a six-month science mission. They were seen strapped into the crew cabin shortly before the spacecraft separated from the space station. The crew is expected to parachute into the sea off the coast of Florida early Friday. They will be carrying some 550 pounds of cargo with them on their flight back to Earth. Their departure came about a week after they welcomed their replacement team aboard the station. With energy prices rising, consumers are opting into community-led energy production. Hundreds of small groups creating energy around the UK are asking the government for support. As households brace themselves for energy price hikes, almost 350 UK local councils are supporting efforts for a legal change to make it easier for community energy groups to sell power. This wind turbine is entirely owned by customers. I have a small, a small chunk of that turbine. I put up 1, 000, just under 1,000 pounds. It'll take about 100 and something pounds off my energy bill a year. Experts say community energy could become part of a wider consumer movement. 
I think the time has come that you know we don't need our energy assets to be owned by large companies. Um, they'll, they'll always be a part of the mix, but I think consumers can increasingly be at the table as well. And some feel the government could do more to support community energy. The reason that community energy has stalled is that the government whilst saying that it's really important and that they really support it, have done nothing. They promised a plan um, in the net zero strategy and there was no plan. These roofs are being assessed to see if they are solar panel friendly. And there are plenty of places where the technology could be used. Everyone who can should be looking into getting involved with community energy schemes locally. There are so many, so many sites, so many housing sites, so many uh, local authority buildings that are perfect for us to install solar on. Energy customer Maggie Reed says there should be more of a mix of big providers and community initiatives and that the government isn't doing enough. There aren't any incentives to do it. Um, you know, the, they, I think they're tending to go for big schemes and big providers, but it just feels a waste really. As prices rise, communities could cut their bills if they can install their own energy technology. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A new exhibition at the Museo del Prado in Madrid is bringing a fresh dimension to art. It uses scent to immerse visitors in the paintings on display. Fragrances waft through the air in the Museo Nacional del Prado in Madrid. This exhibition called The Essence of a Painting is taking on a new approach, asking guests to use their sense of smell. We were doing originally here is trying to call attention to his art and the way we decided to do that after much thinking was simply to isolate one of the paintings of the five senses, the one that deals with the sense of smell, and to use it to focus our attention on another thing that we don't pay that much attention to, which is the way in which the past smelled. One of the works on display is Smell, a 17th century painting by Jan Bruegel the Elder and Peter Paul Rubens. Visitors are able to smell the elements present in the piece. The painting has about between 80 and 90 objects that produce odor of some kind, mainly flowers. And what we have done is we've selected 10 of these objects and we have brought some screens that were created by a technology called Air Perfume by the, the company called Pooch. Visitors can experience a new side to the paintings and get more out of a trip to the museum. The fusion of two senses, visual and olfactory, makes your memory more retentive. So I think that adding smell into a painting will make people remember Jan Bregel and Rubens much more. It's a wonderful painting with incredible detail. The more I look and explore it, the more I discover a different detail. Sola has created 10 fragrances related to the painting, allowing visitors to explore with their smell. I think it's a fantastic experience. The smells are really authentic, so it's beautifully done, which gives you a different dimension when you see the paintings, smell it. Smell is part of the series of the five senses, also on display in the same room. The exhibition is open to the public until July 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, visitors will no longer be allowed to smoke on the beaches in Barcelona starting this July. What do tourists and local residents think about this new rule? And Tom Cruise arrives via helicopter onto the retired Midway aircraft carrier in San Diego, California to promote the release of Top Gun Maverick. Stay tuned for more after the short break.
Barcelona is looking forward to a busy summer season as pandemic restrictions ease and tourism rebounds. The city's beaches are becoming smoke-free with a ban coming into force on July 1st. Let's take a look. Barcelona is one of Europe's top tourist destinations with a record of almost 12 million visitors in 2019. Following the sharp decrease in tourists in 2020 and 2021, hopes are high for a successful summer season this year. We are already seeing more tourists and even more will arrive and we'll be back to being Barcelona as usual with lots of people. We have just one week that we open so we are full all, all day long so I think it will be a great and amazing uh, season. <laughs> the main news this year is that the local council has decided to designate all beaches as smoke-free from sand to sea. What do tourists think about the new rule? I think it's fair to keep the beach clean, also because of the environment. But being able to control every single person will be extremely difficult. I think they should designate areas for smokers, a little area for smokers, with trays for ashes and cigarette butts, to keep everything clean. The ban not only aims to protect the environment, but also to ensure the right of citizens to enjoy a clean and unpolluted public space, free of smoke and cigarette butts. Starting from July 1st, those who violate the rule will face a 30 euro fine, which is around $32. I think uh, it's necessary because most people left them in the sand. I don't do this, but I can understand it's not good for, for nature. The ban comes after the city tested a pilot program on four of the city's beaches during the 2021 summer season. The pilot tests had significantly reduced the number of people smoking on the beaches and the amount of cigarette butts left on the sand. Um, I can understand that a lot of people would be um, quite disappointed that they can't have a cigarette on the beach because a lot of people like to sit down, chill, maybe have a drink and a cigarette. But I also can appreciate non-smokers and especially a lot of kids on the beach um, being around cigarette smoke maybe isn't the best thing for them. So I, I respect it for sure. Barcelona will become the first major city in Spain to ban smoking on beaches. So far, only a small minority of beaches in Spain have outlawed smoking. Before he hits the track at this weekend's inaugural Miami Grand Prix, Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton hit the links with Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady. The two hit golf balls for a charity event at the Miami Beach Golf Club. It was a different sort of drive for the sports greats, as Hamilton is used to driving down the track and Brady down the field. The two showed off their swings before heading down the fairway. Seven-time race car champion Lewis Hamilton is currently sitting in seventh place. He is looking to turn the season around at the Miami International Autodrome. He is Formula One Racing's most successful driver. Seven-time Super Bowl winning quarterback Tom Brady is gearing up to return to the NFL this fall. That's after reversing his decision to retire at the end of last season. This year, Brady is set to become the first quarterback to play as an NFL starting player in four different countries. The unease of uncertainty can keep us from having a calm heart and from enjoying tranquility in nature. Let's get some tips on how to calm down. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. How often do you take time to go out for an hour-long walk or just sit in nature enjoying the silence? Most of us don't make the time for it and the main reason is that our brain rationalizes staying busy. 
we're also addicted to distraction. We are filled with uncertainty all day long and that drives us to try to do more in an effort to control things. How often do you take time to go out for an hour-long walk or just sit in nature enjoying the silence? Most of us don't make the time for it. The main reason is that our brain rationalizes staying busy. It's also addicted to distraction. We are filled with uncertainty all day long. That drives us to do more in an effort to control things. It also leaves us avoiding making mistakes by indulging our addiction to technology and distraction. Uncertainty is woven into every hour of our lives. We are uncertain about what we should do, who we are, and whether we're good enough. We're also uncertain about what's going to happen, what's going on in the world, and how to deal with it all. The idea of being in solitude and having quiet in our lives for contemplation might seem nice to many of us, but when it comes time to actually doing it, we make excuses. I can't because I have too much to do. Just one more email, just one more video. And yet this constant busyness and distraction is draining us. We are always on, always connected, always stimulated and always using energy. What would it be like to disconnect every single day for one hour? To remove ourselves from TVs, books, devices and just go out for a walk? To not be productive, to be connected to nature. We could use the downtime. We could recharge and be replenished by nature. Tranquility gives our brains a chance to rest with space for contemplation and nothingness. To do this, we have to stop letting uncertainty rule our lives. The way to shift this is to create the space for solitude, even just half an hour. Watch your mind try to rationalize why you shouldn't do it. Watch it squirm and urge you to put solitude off for just a little longer. Then don't give in to that urge. Go to the solitude and be with your urges, your rationalizations, your stress. See what happens when you give these things some space. They air out, they calm down, and you get nourished by the space and life around you. Tom Cruise is returning to his role as a highly skilled naval pilot with the upcoming release of Top Gun Maverick. Cruise arrived on a retired Midway aircraft carrier in San Diego, California via helicopter Wednesday to launch the film. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details. The Top Gun sequel returns 36 years after the iconic first film. Although rumored to be getting a sequel for decades, Cruise only agreed to sign on when he was happy with all the elements. I wanted to let the audience know you're in safe hands. So, but it's also how do you measure how much is too much? We're not going to do a cover of the first one. It has to have its own story. And yet you want to be able to, you know, I think about it on a shelf if you pull off Top Gun, uh, you know, the DVD or whatever on your TV, and then you pull up Maverick, it has, they have to be chapters. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. 
You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. In the film, Maverick is forced into teaching a new generation of fighter pilots, including Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, the son of his best friend Goose, played by Miles Teller. No, Tom was very hands-on. I mean, even scenes that Tom wasn't filming in, he was he was he was there. And there were very little scenes Tom wasn't <laughs> filming, but he was he was just uh, always always on set, and he was always there to be able to help us out. And and uh, yeah, I mean, he devoted so much of him of himself to this, and we all we all um, you know were the beneficiaries of that. Cruz's character finds himself under scrutiny from the Academy's boss, Cyclone, played by John Hamm. Yeah, you know, there's really only one Tom Cruise, and uh, you're very aware when you're in his presence, and uh, you're very aware when you're working on something with him, and he has uh, decidedly has a pursuit of excellence in everything that he does, and that's very easy to get swept up in and, and inspired by. We're going into combat. Glenn Powell plays Hangman, the cocky member of the class. You know, Tom Cruise put together a flight school, uh, so we learned from Maverick himself on how to fly. And uh, we flew in four different t types of airplanes, all with different functions to get our G tolerance up. You think up there you're dead, believe me. Although reviews are embargoed, early reactions to Top Gun Maverick have been positive. Top Gun Maverick goes on release worldwide from May 25th. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Come on! Having any fun yet? Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.